0: Welcome to the Travel Tales podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet.
1: I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire and then there's just a gigantic huge explosion like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different.
0: We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience.
1: We were kidnapped by nuns in
0: Puerto Rico. (laughs) Not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff.
1: I got swine flu.
0: By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Jessica Drucker. Before we get to Jessica, here's a few announcements. First and foremost... Traveltalespodcast.com is our website. Go there and see photos of our guests. There are links to our social media, which is Travel Tales podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales pod on Twitter. Follow me at those places. Travel Tales podcast at Facebook. Give me follows on all those things, please. And if you go to our homepage, you'll also see links to Stitcher Radio, Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on iHeartRadio, basically anywhere you get your podcasts there we are. Subscribe, please. And as always, I ask if you can give us a good rating, maybe a thumbs up, a bunch of stars, whatever they ask you to do, I'd appreciate it because that boosts our presence and helps more people find us. So that would be a cool thing. If you think you'd be right for the show, or maybe you think someone else would be right for the show, maybe you got travel questions, maybe you want to say hi, maybe you want to tell me how awesome I am, I accept all of it. And if you want to do any of those things, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Well, here we are, folks, into the thick of summer. Are you out and about? Are you vaccinated? Are you covering up? Are you being safe? Are you flying? Are you driving? Domestic? International? You feeling the urge to get out? I know I am. And when I talk about getting out, I don't just mean getting out of the house, I mean getting out of the whole damn country, which brings me to my guest. My guest today is Jessica Drucker. Now, Jessica is another person I found out I have a lot in common with. We're both from Chicago, we lived in New York for a while. We both got the travel bug at an early age, and it changed our outlook on life. But unlike me, who stayed in America and took trips from here, Jessica went full on. She's been an expat for a long time, 15, 20 years. Well, she'll talk about it. She's lived in Central and South America. She's lived in Europe. She's lived in Asia. And she's got such a knack for living abroad, she wrote the book on the subject. That's right, literally. Her book is How to Move Abroad and why it's the best thing you'll ever do. It's available on Amazon. We'll have a link to it on our site as well. She's got her own travel podcast called Adventure Calls. And let's face it, there's more and more and more interest for Americans, especially, to move abroad. I've interviewed a lot of digital nomads on this show. I've interviewed a lot of Americans living abroad. I've met many of them around the world. And as the world gets ever more mobile and broadband gets ever more common all around the world, we're going to see more of this. And let's just say the politics and the tone in America of the last, uh, oh, five years or so have really made more people look abroad for something else and a different way to live. And there's a lot of them out there. If you listen to the show for a while, you know that I've talked about this for many years, that uh, it's a dream of mine to live abroad at some point in my life. When it's going to happen, I don't know. I always seem to find a reason not to, but that's okay. As you will find during our discussion, Jessica doesn't always recommend moving abroad for everyone. It is not for everyone. And you got to do it for the right reasons and you got to be committed to it. But as far as a source of information, Jessica is great. And I learned a lot from our discussion. I had been following her on Instagram and I reached out because I thought she'd be a good guest and I was right. And ironically, this longtime expat is now living in New Jersey of all places which for a Midwesterner can sometimes feel like you're in another country, but that's another story. So via Zoom from New Jersey, please enjoy my conversation with Jessica Drucker. Jessica, where are you?
1: I am in New Jersey, United States of America.
0: Humble brag for a, an expat expert. When I know. You become a Jersey expat.
1: I know it's ironic, the whole thing, but actually I have to say, I like it here. I'm not going to lie. Um, after living abroad forever, which I'm sure we'll get into, the obvious choice was to move to Brooklyn, Was uh, made the most sense, which we did. And then during the whole pandemic situation, um, we needed space and we had just had it. When, when everything that makes Brooklyn Brooklyn is closed, we left. I didn't hold out and I'm quite happy with it, to be
0: honest. I hear you. Well, I'm going to do my uh, the standard uh, comedy line when somebody says it from Jersey. What exit?
1: <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm not that Jersey yet.
0: Oh, okay. What town are you in? It's a town called Verona. Okay. How far are you by the shore or are you inland?
1: No, I'm in um, Essex County. A very popular town here is called Montclair, and it's oh, right yeah. near
0: there. Yep. I know it. Uh, so, what part of uh, Brooklyn were you in? Because I used to live in Park Slope. Park Slope. Were you That's there? where I live. What streets?
1: Carroll between uh, 6th and 7th.
0: Okay. I was on 5th Avenue be, between 2nd and 3rd Street.
1: Not far. Not far at all.
0: Yeah. Nope. Yeah, oh. I was right there. And uh, no, it was it 3rd Avenue between 4th. Yeah, no. 5th Avenue between 2nd and 3rd. Mm-hmm. And it was funny. I was there in 96, 97 when Brooklyn wasn't Brooklyn. You know, right. it was like not cool <laughs> you know? and uh, far more affordable.
1: Well, yeah, that was the thing. You know, what are we paying all this rent for? Might as well pay a mortgage.
0: Yeah. So, uh well, let's talk about that. Um first of all, tell people your your website and your specialty. You are an, how do you title yourself? An expat uh expert.
1: Yeah. This is an existential crisis for myself. Um <laughs> sure. I would call myself a serial expat um and also, you know, expat coach. I'm an author, I'm a podcast podcaster. What? Let's call me a multi-hyphenate. Yeah. I like
0: that. Well, we all have to be these days.
1: I know. I know. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. My website is jessicadrucker.com. Very
0: easy. And your podcast name?
1: My podcast is Adventure Calls. And the title of my book is How to Move Abroad and Why It's the Best Thing You'll Do.
0: (laughs) So we know where you stand on the subject, basically. Correct. (laughs) Okay. Now, why does when did you first move abroad and why did you come back? And I'm a feeling we had talked before we started recording. Uh, you have a two year old, so I'm guessing that was part of your uh, reason for coming back.
1: You know what? you might think so, but not at all. No. So I first moved abroad to study abroad. It was required of me as a part of my major. Um, I was a uh, major to be a Spanish teacher. and so I moved to Costa Rica for what was to be one semester. And when I got there, I thought, this is happening all the time. I am not a part of it. I want to be a part of it. Everything in my life changed at that point without me really realizing it. So I ended up taking a semester off of college, which was not something I would have normally done. uh, And my parents were not happy with me. Um, And I stayed an extra semester, um, took some Spanish classes to make it look like I was doing something. And while I was there, my Spanish teacher... He was from Guatemala and he said, well, if you're here, you should go to Guatemala for Semana Santa, which is Holy Week, because in Antigua, that's where the processions are amazing. So I did that. And when I got there, I thought, oh, my God, this is happening all the time. I have to live here. This is the best. And um, so goes the uh, the rhythm of my life. Um <laughs> Which is actually kind of true, um, and so anyway, so I ended up going back, graduating college first, and then I moved to Guatemala, and, and my the rest of my story kind of sped up goes. So Costa Rica one year, Guatemala two years, Germany three years, the UK four years. I lived there, and then I was a digital nomad for four years um, as well. I've actually been back in the US now for quite some time, and about seven years um and my son's too so the math there doesn't quite work out um <laughs> but i uh i'm i'm kind of like just coming to terms with what a whiplash life change that was um but I came back, I, I broke my ankle, broke up with my partner at the time, uh, all in the matter of two days in Peru, and was just like, I this is like, I have to go back, and I don't really have a plan. Um, and I just, you know, as you do, started making a life for myself back in the U.S. I never thought I would live in the U.S. during this period of history. Oh, you guys see some we fun
0: stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Good Good I know. Oh, no. So where did you grow up?
1: So I'm from um, the suburbs of Chicago
0: originally. Me too. What? No. Yep.
1: Palatine, Illinois.
0: I know Palatine well.
1: Where are I you from? I grew up south
0: around Chicago Heights, a town called University Park, and then I, when I lived in, when I was in college, we moved to Oak Park.
1: Oh and wow! Then
0: I, and then I lived in the city for, you know, till I moved to New York, till I moved to Brooklyn. So I lived in the city for about five years, but I know Palatine, sure.
1: Yeah,
0: and I went to Northern yeah. Illinois University, so I oh, know wow. uh, I have friends from every suburb.
1: Yeah, exactly, because everyone from the suburbs either goes to Northern. Yeah, um, I went to U of I, U of I, which is the other one. Yep,
0: my sister went to U of I. Hilarious! I told the story. My dad sat me, my brother, and sister down in high school and said, "You can go to school anywhere you want if it's an Illinois State school." And we're like, yeah. "Well, that that narrows it down." I so share a similar Western, story. My I went to Northern, and my sister went to U of I. So Funny. yeah. And it ne- looks like neither of us could wait to get out.
1: <laughs> yeah, basically left and never looked back. I did end up back in Chicago proper for a year after the broken ankle breakup incident, but then moved to Brooklyn. Okay.
0: If we w- lived in the same, uh, okay, what neighborhood of Chicago? Because this would be too weird if we lived Ooh. in the same. Lakeview. Yep. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> I lived on, uh, I lived on Berry. Uh,
1: oh yeah, Barry's nearby. I lived uh, on Sheridan.
0: Yeah, okay. I was more, I was like my racing in Belmont right there.
1: Yep. It's
0: mm-hmm. ah, too weird. Too weird. 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 What a small world. Yeah, I interviewed Kristen Gill, a travel writer who lives now in La Paz, uh, Mexico. Same deal. We lived like a block from each other in Chicago. Then <laughs> we lived, it was just, we kind of like chased each other around and never knew each other.
1: It's that's so absolutely
0: strange. crazy. Yeah. So did your parents, uh, like travel that much growing up? Did you ever, what was the first trip you ever left the country? Was it Coastal Rica? Um,
1: it, you know what? The first time I ever actually left the country. So I was in the band. I'm not embarrassed of saying that anymore. Humble in high school.
0: brag again. Yeah. What in did high school, you play? What did you play?
1: Clarinet. Don't tell me you played the clarinet or I'm getting
0: off. No, I, not, I'm not going to stay on this call. I played the, uh, I played the drums in junior. Okay. High. Okay. Um, and then it. I got too cool wow well, let's come yes on. yeah i didn't yeah, nerd yeah. it up all through high school but. all
1: through and i was actually really good um and we went we were a good ba- marching band and we went to london uh for the new year's day parade wow and so we i know it was kind of cool so we marched on piccadilly circus um i did not like london at all i never thought i would end up moving there and living there for four years well three years in london um But yeah, so that was the first time and I didn't like it. I didn't, I didn't, it didn't inspire me. I didn't feel anything, but then I did, um, an exchange program. I was getting a C in Spanish, which I don't like to get C's. (laughs) And, um, the only way I could get an A was to host a Costa Rican exchange student, which my mom said yes to crazily enough. And so, uh, a boy named Fabio came to live with us. And, um, for three weeks. And then I, I completed the exchange that summer. So after London, that same year, I went to Costa Rica for just two weeks. Um, but it blew my mind again the first time. And so, yeah, it was actually the first place that I really enjoyed being abroad.
0: So what was it about Costa Rica where I've been? Um, I know the um, outside of the city, I've, I've maybe you think this wrong, but the capital is, I didn't find it much to speak of. And uh, you I tell people when they get to Costa Rica, just get a car, a four wheel drive because the roads are horrendous Yeah, and get out to either the beaches or the jungle or the mountains or whatever. But don't stay in San Jose.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of a burgeoning scene at this point just because kind of everywhere is and Costa Rica is so popular now. But yeah, I mean, the city is um leaves a lot to be desired. Um What was it about Costa Rica? You know what? I mean, one, just like you know, you can imagine, but being from Illinois where everything is flat
0: Palatine. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's
1: so different first of all, but also I think, you know, the culture was so different to my own. It was so warm, so inviting, so like low stakes, like, you know, in the U S it can feel like if you mess up, if you don't follow this path, if if, if you're going to fail, 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 and everything just felt like so much easier, the, just the mentality. So I really appreciated that. Um, I lived with a host family, which I actually would recommend and don't talk about enough, but I lived with a host family because um, it was a part of a school exchange. And I had four brothers and sisters, and I'm an only child in real life. And there was just something like so warm about the whole thing and seeing the family from the inside that helped me feel at home right away. So I didn't feel foreign. You know, I just felt like I was getting to know it. Um, and there's just the whole experience was just so It was certainly hard, but the challenge was there. And, you know, and I don't think I had ever felt challenged in the, it was like challenge in 3D, you know, language, food, everything's happening at once. You got to figure it all out. I I just loved every part of that.
0: What was the difference that you find from Costa Rica, which like you said, is more popular with expats and, and others. And and it's really been found out basically by Americans in the West and, um, and say living in Guatemala and why didn't say Guatemala hit you the same way as Costa Rica or did it
1: No, it didn't hit me the same way. I mean in some ways it it did in terms of like that everything was different, but everything was different in a different way. I mean Guatemala is a totally different animal. I mean they're both Central American countries. You know, it's obviously horror, you though, can right? speak you can speak Spanish to communicate in both. Yes. I mean, the, what you learn about life is different in Guatemala. So in Costa Rica, I, you know, I don't, I, this is not true, but I think the, the average income in Costa Rica, the average salary is actually quite high, much higher than you'd expect. It's, it's a certainly a developed, like a far developing country. Um, they have, you know, socialized medicine, for example, people can go to the doctor, um, in Guatemala, you see, for example, the effects of, if you have a health issue and you can't get medical care this is what it looks like two years down the road you know you see you see people kind of like in a way suffering from things that are otherwise avoidable where you're from but also what i loved about guatemala was seeing the way that culture was like a prism in a way you know in costa rica i don't want to call costa rica a monoculture or kind of like split between you have like the black caribbean culture and then the sort of like the rest of costa rica and there are many different subcultures within Costa Rica, but the prism of cultures in Guatemala is fascinating. Um, the indigenous languages that are spoken, there's 33 languages in, Co- in Guatemala. I mean, I didn't, you know, they, Spanish is the second or third language for some people, you know, that blew my mind, my, my little 21 year old brain. I had no idea <laughs> um, about that kind of thing. And just, you know, uh, All of that. Plus, I think Guatemala was probably the first time I learned the complex history of the United States uh, in Central America. Um, And that really helped me understand the role of my own country and that things are so much more complicated. And 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 the way that we interact with a country has like long lasting effects.
0: Well, let's talk about. I mean, I, I did listen to a uh, an, a podcast you did with the guy in Porto, right? And um, but I also read a bit of your blog, and you talk about, especially after the last four years with the Trump administration, and us traveling through that has been kind of, <laughs> you know, um, interesting. But also, it's forced a lot of Americans to look at their country in a different way. And yes. Did you and a lot of us who travel have looked at it that way for a long time, but it's uh, now other people are starting to open their eyes and you touch on that as part of the expat experience, right?
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, and that's, you know one of the things about Guatemala. Is, so again, I was like 21, 22, 23, when I was living in Guatemala and I would come home to visit and spend time in this, in the city, you know, in Chicago, cause I was 21, you know? And so when I would come home to visit, I would spend time in the city that I had never really done before. But I also, that also meant that at the same time, I was seeing sides of Chicago that were poorer than places I had been in Guatemala, more destitute, desperate in some ways. And it really blew my mind because, you know, I mean, being from the suburbs, especially where I'm from, I mean, it's not very rich, but I mean, it's certainly like, you know, golden compared to parts of Chicago. And, and I realized the duality of those things. And I just started to understand what America is really on the inside versus the vision that people have of the United States from the outside. You, know, you would hear people really talking about thinking that the roads are paved in gold. In the United States, like though that kind of I mean, imagine the amount of fantasy involved in making it to the US for someone who hears those stories and those myths growing up to, you know, dreaming of a better life. And so, yes, I have known about this forever. I'm not trying to say I've been woke forever, <laughs> but I mean, it's been like a good 20 years now that I've been sort of saying these things. And I think it's a beautiful thing that Americans who maybe haven't had the opportunity to travel as much as I have are able now, to see the complexity, because I think the other thing in the States that can be hard is people have a hard time holding two things to be true at once that are opposing, but they are both true. I'm not saying America has to be the greatest country in the world, but it's a wonderful country in many respects. However, at the same time, you have to hold the truth that it's very complicated. There is you know, a lot to be looked at, both on the inside and uh, in terms of like international relations.
0: I've found this thing. I've told this story on here before. It's like my brother and I, who are very different, he's a couple years older, but he's still back in Chicago area. He's never been out of the country uh, and doesn't seem to have the curiosity, which is something I can never understand. I mean, he doesn't have a family. He could have gone anywhere, but he could have done exactly the same thing I've done or in a different way or whatever his path was, but just kind of stayed where he was and then i remember going he's big into fishing and and camping and that kind of thing and i remember going to new zealand and telling him about it and it was like you would love this place i mean it's it's amazing like nature and the, it's it's great and his first like and he was quiet for a second and then his knee-jerk answer was well i think there's a lot of things to see here yeah it's not an either or <laughs> situation and there's this kind of like reaction a lot of americans have it's like if you say you like somewhere else that means you hate america it's like no you can i can like two things at once i don't know why, yeah. <laughs> why it's an either or thing
1: yeah and you know i i like to blow people's mind sometimes because you know they'll hear my that you know my story that i've traveled a lot and stuff and they'll be like where's your favorite place that you've ever traveled and of course i'll say it's hard to pick a favorite i love I mexico i, I love Cambodia. Question but the United States is one of the best places to travel. And I will always say that, you know, it's fascinating. The fact that like New Mexico and New Orleans are both in the United States is insane and wonderful. And we have Hollywood and New York. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's great. It's just also good to go see a different place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So how do you make the jump from your Spanish skills in Central America? And you figure, yeah, oh, she'll probably just stay there and utilize those. And then you go to Germany. What was I did. That? That's kind of I a did. leap.
1: It was a leap, yes. I was dating a German, and um, Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. yeah, and it's a lot. It's a lot harder to get into the U.S. than Germany. Um, so, and I'm also a teach. I was a teacher, so it's you know very easy to as a native English speaker to get jobs teaching English around the world. And so, and actually, really wasn't uh, a challenge in terms of a visa. I got it. A- a job uh quickly at um burlitz which is a language school that does a lot of visa uh, applications for all their native um teachers native speaking teachers um but the language was not uh the same nope. and it definitely no, took me uh a while it, well it took me a while to learn the language but i was so like like in terms of like an athlete. I was like in training already. I was in such good shape from living abroad in that way that I was able to just sort of like take it on and be like, I don't know what you're saying. Cause the other thing is Spanish. I studied. So I was like supposed to know what people were saying to me. So if I didn't understand, I felt like I was like failing at something. Whereas German, I could just look at someone and be like, I don't know what you're saying. (laughs) I have no idea what that means. And I was a lot freer to make mistakes. So I, I actually ended up learning it much quicker that way.
0: Oh, great. And it was four years there. Three Three years. okay. Mm -hmm. And then from there, did you stay in Europe or did you just come back?
1: Yeah. No, no. So from from Germany, I I really wanted to get a master's degree. I was teaching and I just didn't see where what the career path was for a teacher because you're either a teacher, which is great, but I didn't want to do that anymore. I I was kind of tired of it Um, or you become an administrator, but I didn't want to be an administrator of a school. Um, And so I wanted to get a master's and I did a degree, a certificate in Germany called intercultural business communication. I did it in German and I was tired of that. I didn't want to get a master's in German. It was too hard for my brain to both take in a foreign language and then like process it, you know, in academically. Um, So I moved to the UK and I got a master's degree in Brighton.
0: Oh, Brighton's lovely. Yeah. I love I love London. It's one of my favorite things. But I think I've been spoiled by California weather. Now at this point, where it's just like oh, I, I kind of like to see the sun a lot. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's dreary. It's not man. sunny. It's Ooh, dreary. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. But uh, so much of the culture I love, and the Euros are going on right now, the soccer championships, and I've been glued to uh, to the TV. But it's fun. Uh, um, how come you picked? Was your uh, school in Brighton or? Did you live in the city at all?
1: No, no, no. I moved to Brighton. The school was the University of Sussex, which is just outside of of Brighton. Um, And I chose that school. So I I looked at a lot of schools, actually, in the UK. And I chose that school because I liked the program itself. Um, And so, yeah, I just I moved there and I was there for about a year. And then I also liked the the program was only like a year and three months. It wasn't like a full two year program. So that was also quite
0: nice. (laughs) Brighton's another place the hipsters have found.
1: Oh, yeah. Already then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> already then, for sure.
0: Um, so well, let, let's get into the expat thing. And how did your parents take this, you living abroad and their only, their only child far away? Were they encouraging or were they worried?
1: You know, I was, to put it politely for myself historically, strong-minded, Strong willed. (laughs) Um, I was just going to do it. I mean, I think there was nothing really that was going to stop me from doing it. Luckily, like my gateway drug was the study abroad. So, you know, of course my parents were going to be in favor of that. It's a world building thing to do, you know, whatever. Then calling and being like, I'm going to take a semester off. I definitely don't think that they were happy about that. I think my mom was always worried up until a certain point when she just realized that I'm tough, like I can just take it. And also I think Looking back now at the at the time frame, you know, if you see now everyone on social media is like 30 years ago was the 90s, just the way you felt in the 90s about it being the 60s, 30 years ago, you know. But looking back now, I mean, I moved to Guatemala not long after a decades long civil war. And I'm sure my mother was freaking out. I didn't know anything about a civil war in Guatemala. I didn't know I was living in Antigua, having the time of my life and like eight or nine years before that it like kind of ended is insane. I'm sure she was petrified. And of course, now that I have a child, like I I, I can see how she must have felt. Um yeah. I don't think they were, they were super, super happy about it. I think once I got to Europe, there was a feeling like, Oh, Germany. I she, My mom had been to Germany by that point. Oh, Germany. I know Germany. So like, that's a little bit, you know, right. that war ended a long time ago, I guess you could
0: say. <laughs> um, but in terms of like this expat life, of keep constantly moving. Um, I've always said it was, it's been a goal of mine. I want to live abroad at some point in my life. Um and of course, now have things has been kind of ramped up the last four years, like a lot of people. I'm sure your book has gotten a lot more popular in the last three, four it years. It sells. It sells. <laughs> um, what do you find is the biggest obstacle? Well, let's talk about not just for Americans, but for everyone. I mean, it's, there's always a fear of the unknown. Is it uh, money fears? Is it uh, just fear of leaving the comfort zone? Or is it, you know, what is it?
1: yeah I mean that's a good question because I think it's like when you look in the mirror, it's like whatever's reflected back at you, so for some people, it's the fear of the unknown for sure, and that's a that's a a real thing because there's there's a lot of people that can tell you how to do this, but I mean there's not a clear roadmap, and every country has different um visa regulations and ways to get in and all this stuff and so it's not like you learn this in school, so that's clearly one thing is sort of fear of the unknown for sure. Um, the thing with money, that is a huge fear that people have. And sometimes I ask on Instagram, you know, I'll say like, how much money do you think you need to move abroad? Just trying to like survey the audience. And it's quite, of course, you're going to fear the financial aspect when you think you need a million or $2 million to move abroad, because like, I don't think many people think they're ever going to even have a million dollars. So therefore moving abroad is a, is a total barrier because or the the million dollars is the barrier toward like basically all of your dreams. Then, you know, if the financial aspect is what you see as being the challenge, I think people also think language is another big one for Americans. Specifically. There's this really big fear of like getting off the ladder, like whatever your plan is for you getting off. It can be really scary because I think we have issues around health insurance, right? So you like, you keep your job so that you are, you have health insurance and, veering from that is something that we don't think we can do and then also with taxes Americans have a very specific um tax issue that uh, we only We pay tax
0: e- everywhere no matter where we live we Correct we are we're actually, the only country that does that Eritrea Oh, OK, <laughs> is the only we're, we're other an elite country. company then, is what you all
1: said. those all those AirTrain expats are going through a VR uh, <laughs> as well.
0: So we still um, pay no. American taxes no matter where we live in the world.
1: Well, yes, but let's make sure people know you only up into a certain income level, which is about one hundred and seven thousand dollars a year. You only have to file taxes like you just you're you're paying your if you're earning income in another country, you are paying taxes there and then you file in the U.S.,
0: but how does that work digitally now with websites? And so, if you have your website that I establish here, but I'm living in you know Greece, uh, am I being paid? And the website makes money, so it's making American dollars. I got to pay tax on that. Is that how that So
1: works? Y- yes and no. This is a huge gray area, which is why I really adv- uh, advise you to work with an expat an uh, 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 expat tax advisor who really specializes in this. In some countries, you would just kind of your visa would allow you to live there, but earn money somewhere else. So, for example, Spain. Spain is really happy for you to earn money somewhere else and spend it in Spain, which yeah, is most smart. Most countries
0: are, yeah. That's why right. they love retirees.
1: Right. Exactly right. <laughs> right. Um, so then you're paying tax in the U.S. and not in Spain. But in other countries, you would be taxed because they want their fair share of any income earned on their land, right? Which is fine. So sometimes you would be taxed, but because of the no double taxation rule between certain countries in the U.S., you would just file in the States. It's, it's a, you, that's why it can feel like all these barriers are there. That can feel scary. But just know that there are answers for each specific country. And it, it re- unless you are a millionaire, it really works out fine at the end of the day. You just have to follow the rules and really hire someone to help you with your taxes.
0: Let's say you are a millionaire. Yeah. And um, you do you get those people coming to you and go, look, I just want to live elsewhere. And I mean, they're going to talk to their tax attorney as well. But how many people are like, I'm retiring who come to you and how many people are like, I want to work abroad?
1: Oh, that's a great question. So, um, for some reason, and you can ask people uh why this is. Um, I do really well with older ladies. They love me. Um, oh, and so well. yes, yeah, some hey. some of my some of my Another clients do. Brag. And some of my clients do tend to be older um and retiring, um which is uh great. I love working with with the, uh, those people as well. Um so What I will say is this there are um, because the U.S. is one of the most difficult countries to move uh, to emigrate No, to immigrate. No. Why am I having a brain on this one
0: to leave? Thank you. I'm trying to sound (laughs) fancy. It's emigrate, isn't it? Yeah, I have a immigrants. cold,
1: if anybody can hear. Uh-huh. Um, and so my brain's not all there. Blame,
0: yes. it, blame it on the NyQuil. okay.
1: I am. I am. Um, because it's hard to leave uh, and they want their taxes no matter what. There are a lot of things to consider. And it, the more money you have and the more things that you own and the more streams of income that you have, it can be complicated. Like no matter what, this is just an example. If you're a property owner and you buy property, for example, abroad and you sell that property abroad, you that property never existed in the United States of America, you have to pay capital gains taxes on that to the United States. Really? Yeah, it's stupid. And so that's what I mean when I say like, of course, if you have more money, you have more problems and you have to know that stuff. And it has to be a part of your decision making, which is why, for example, if you run a business, sometimes it's easier just keep your business based in the U.S., keep your investments based in the U.S., pay your taxes in the U.S., don't try to get around it. Don't try and move your money around like that. Just deal with the fact that you're American keep things in the United States. And then when it comes to properties abroad, yeah, you're going to pay capital gains taxes on that. Um, so decide why you're buying the property. Don't flip properties, for example, that might not work out financially for you, just right. as an example.
0: Do you find, um, you know, cause I hear a lot about the quote unquote golden visa, which, you know, people talk about, if you invest a certain money in our country or buy a piece of property or invest in a business or whatever it is, uh, you get the equivalent of like a U.S. green card, basically. You don't Mm -hmm. have to keep renewing it. And this brings me back to Portugal, which I hear because it's becoming so popular now with expats. They're going to start raising their rates, as it were. (laughs) Um, Do you find that as, you know, you need money to do that, obviously, because it could be anywhere from 300 to, half a million dollars or I think America has one when it's like a million or more or something.
1: It is. I I believe it's a million or more. I'm not, I'm not actually an expert in moving to the U S but I do think it's over a million. I think it's 1.2 or something like that. Um, So yeah, I mean the cheapest place in Europe to um, invest in for a golden visa is Malta, the Island of Malta. Um, But yeah, Portugal, Spain, they're about a half a million dollars. Um, And you have to have that money cash up front. I mean, you have to buy property, you know, the U.S. is particularly friendly with um, putting down a small amount uh, and paying the rest off as a mortgage. Europe is not so friendly. Sometimes you have to put down 50 percent or more. And so they're wonderful. And if you have that kind of cash and you really want to get a residency somewhere else and you want to work toward, for example, um, permanent residency and or giving up your U.S. citizenship, which is a thing. Not many people do it. Five thousand or so do it per year. Um but if that's what you're working toward, or you really just want to know that forever I can live in this country, and you have the cash, go ahead, go ahead and do it.
0: Go ahead. But do you? Would you recommend to people only do that if they're serious about you know this country and you're going to stay for a while, or you have the money? Because I mean, for me, if, even if I could afford the end of this golden visa thing, you know, I've never lived abroad. I mean, how many people do you get? going you know i lasted a year or two and coming back i mean do we hear about the failure stories
1: (laughs) yeah Uh, let's not call them failure i don't know what to call
0: failure that's why
1: wrong term i mean they tried it
0: and it didn't work out
1: correct yeah lots and lots and lots of people yeah yeah and that's why i actually um so annoyingly called my book how to move abroad and why it's the best thing you'll do um because even if you only go for a year, and that's how I actually start my book, like in the intro. But even if you only go for a year and you come back to the same house and the same job, you know you're, it. you know, you've expanded so much of your awareness of the world that will help you in so many ways. Um, but yeah, you definitely get people who live for a year or two and then move home. And there's lots of reasons why. Expat life, it's I don't want to glamorize like expat life by the title of my book or the things that I talk about. It's about like the inner growth that's so important. And that happens, you know, in different periods of time for people. But if you have never lived abroad, yeah, you need to do a year somewhere, a couple years somewhere. Um, And before you like do anything like buy property or commit to even a town or a city or a state in another country, um, you should do a lot of like longer vacations there. You should know that that's where you want to move. However, I'm going to say this. I didn't do any of that. (laughs) I just figured it out and lived where I lived. I didn't. When I moved to Germany, I lived in a city called Erfurt. I didn't know anything about Erfurt. I didn't know because, again, young and dumb. I didn't know it was the former East Germany. I didn't know they didn't really know a lot of Americans. I didn't know speaking English on the street would get me looks for days. I didn't know some of my students wouldn't want me to teach them because they only wanted a British accent. There are lots of things that I didn't know. So it's like, on the one hand, if we are talking about the golden visa, Yes, you should probably live abroad first. But if you have that kind of money and you know you want to live in Europe, because that's, you know, or I mean, there are golden visas in Singapore, for example, and other yeah. places. But you, you should have some experience before you actually <laughs> commit to like that kind of a purchase.
0: What do you find is the most common reason it doesn't work out for people?
1: You know, um, I get asked this a lot, as you can imagine, but I think that my answer nowadays is expectation management. Because I think that if you go into it with the dream, which you should, I mean, if you're going to take a huge leap, please dream, please be positive, but you you don't realize that there's going to be what I call the rainy day montage in a rom-com. There's going to be a period of that time that you live abroad where you're going to get splashed with the puddle. And you're going to lose your keys and you're going to be really upset and the language is going to be really hard and it it will get very difficult for part of it. You have to know that you'll make it out of that period into, you know, what's called is like the acceptance phase or the assimilation phase where you become one of them, uh, essentially, um, or you become bicultural. Um, But when you first move abroad, there's a euphoria that happens where you just think this is the best thing ever, right? You're not, I'm not even just on vacation. I live here. Look at how they do this. Look at how they do this. They're so smart. Um, Look at this cool food or whatever. And then you have to know that then you will crash. It is inevitable. Everybody will go through the frustration phase. And if you can't make it out of that phase because you didn't know it was coming, that can make it really, really difficult. Also, people change jobs, people get an opportunity back home, people's parents get sick. It's very hard in a period of your life where if you have aging parents and kids or just aging parents, all of those things can be really complicated too.
0: Yeah. I mean, my mom is in her eighties in Florida now and I worry a little bit about being, you know, living in Asia or something like that. And yep. then but then I thought about like uh Central America or even Portugal. Mm-hmm. It's the same flight from Portugal to Florida as it is from l LA. mm-hmm. <laughs> a and, and shorter from mm-hmm. Costa Rica. <laughs> I was in Colombia uh last year, the last foreign trip I took, and it was a three hour flight to Miami mm-hmm. six hours <laughs> from here you know exactly. so it's, like, oh, it's closer for me to my mom from here, and so I forget that, but um, yeah, do you find another problem is assimilation? And some people I've seen this around the world, expats, they only hang out with other expats. Yeah. And that,
1: that's kind of what I mean also that all falls under this expectation management. Yes. Because on the one hand, I really advised if you move abroad that you definitely get yourself a a group of expats, you need them. You couldn't help someone immigrate to the United States. You never did it. So people, you know, locals don't know how certain things work. They don't understand that certain things are hard or frustrating or confusing. It's great. But if you don't eventually learn how to assimilate and, um, you know, find a balance because you're you will always the minute you move abroad, you'll kind of always live in like an in-between world because you'll be both. You're amphibious. You know, you become both. Um, if you don't kind of learn how to get along with that. Yes, it can have detrimental effects to your fitting in. There are lots of expats, though, who still live abroad. They hate everything about the country. They complain about it all the time. But they still live there and don't leave and they keep their small circle of expats. I'm sure you've met them. Oh yeah. Um, the curmudgeny ones. But yeah, and they still live abroad. So, but it's really important to have you need both. You need a full balance between the
0: two communities. Where uh, did you make it to Asia? You say you were in Cambodia for a little while.
1: Yeah, I so after all that time as a as an official expat, I became a digital nomad for four years. Uh right when that term was was still cool. Well, honestly, um, and- <laughs> you, needed,
0: you needed the technology to get better as well. I mean, yeah. broadband was not that big a deal when you know you and I first started backpacking around. I think right. I had an email address and that was going on in the internet cafes and trying to get AOL with dial-up. You know, I
1: worked at an internet cafe in Guatemala. Oh, did that's you? how. Sure. That's how long ago that was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, and so I did. I traveled throughout. I did a lot of time in Southeast Asia and India.
0: Okay. Um, so the how did you compare the Asian expat experience to, or the Cambodian one, as opposed to Central America and Europe? Price is um, better. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, that's for <laughs> sure. I mean, first of all, um, you know, the obviously the further east you go, the the expats are different. You know, so you've got a lot of Australians. Australians are everywhere. Um, but you yeah. got a lot of Australians, Kiwis, uh, things like that. Expats from other Asian countries living abroad you also have you know it is much cheaper it's just much cheaper so you just have a lot of people who couldn't afford it otherwise that are living there for sure um your money gets you quite a lot of comfort um especially in southeast asia um in i've actually never been to japan or china i know that that is um not okay i know stop it i know i'm working on it i'm working on it okay i know it's horrible um (laughs) To shake your head at me um and uh just blows but me those away. expats I, just, yeah. I know it's horrible um those expats um who tend to live in japan or china i mean you have to be working or you have to have quite a lot of money right to like sustain life in those countries so that's a different like type of person yeah. that ends up living in those countries
0: well most of the expats i've seen in southeast asia where i mean thailand of course is the biggest one. And then, but yeah, uh, Vietnam, I've seen a number. And um, yeah, Cambodia, a few, not as many, but Thailand is certainly the number one. And Bali.
1: Yeah, You know, you get back
0: to your Aussies. But um, yeah, but people go for different reasons. They're not all good reasons or- They're not all good (laughs) reasons. Nice reasons. (laughs) Very eye-opening in Southeast Asia in particular. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there is that idea that- uh, As much as my, um, I don't know, guilt-ridden, you know, white male guilt-ridden brain, (laughs) am I exploiting people in a poor culture? You know, and there's a little bit that you want your money to go far. I get that. You know, America is an expensive place to be. And a lot of them go because, look, if if you're in your 50s and you lose your job or uh, you want to retire, you can't. Whatever it is, you leave, you want to leave. And health insurance is a big part of it. It's the one thing that can drain you completely in America. Uh, and you go to these countries, and they're like, yeah, yeah, you could have like servants, you could do all this. It's like, yeah, but there's, you know, there's still that twinge in me going, am I just taking yeah. advantage of people?
1: Yeah, no, I totally get that, and I think no matter what, you carry your privilege with you, right? And that is just a fact. And yeah. you can use your privilege in different ways, right? So, if you want to have servants, um, or you know, if you want to have a, a maid that comes every day, th- that that is something that you can actually do. Whether or not you think that that's ethical or not is way more complex than you know. This is my. This is a thing that it really matters to me because, you know. It's not just like I should or shouldn't they're not a slave. I mean it's not the, yes, they should or shouldn't uh, be your servant or clean your house. but you know it is it is so complex, but then you realize that the local people who are wealthy have a ton of people oh, uh, working everybody. in their home and maybe aren't as nice at all oh, as no. you might be. So ethically, it's super complex. I mean, um, you have no idea and, and it takes that's why what I mean about like if you're actually gonna live there assimilating and understanding that, is actually really complex. Um, but just knowing that you have privilege is the first step and then thinking about how you use it and what you do with it is what is what really matters. Because you could also do the Peace Corps and think that you're doing this like you know ethically golden moral thing, right? And at the end of the day, we all know stories about how the Peace Corps has disrupted certain societies or communities by thinking they're doing good, but actually doing some harm. So it's not, it's it's super gray. It's yeah, not oh, yeah. black and white at all. Well,
0: the yeah. world is gray, you know? And yeah. So, I don't know. I'm just cursed with, like, you know, seeing, seeing two sides of every argument. And it's, good, it's, good, it's good, because it's good. It's good, It's not but it's a curse that sometimes what I envy people who just can just, nope, this is I what know. I think, and just, like, I can't. I've never been able to do that. I
1: know. I know. But it's actually good, again, because you're holding those
0: two things in your head at once. I mean, cursed with empathy. And I've oh. been made to feel, especially in the last you know, five years or so that, uh, I'm on the losing side, which is a hard thing to take.
1: It's not losing. It's not a zero sum game. It's just that you understand that other people have been losing more maybe than you realized before. And that it, that's the thing. It doesn't have to do with you personally. You didn't make the choices, but no, you know, knowing the privilege, uh, that's there just inherently. I mean,
0: yeah. Well, what do you, where do you see it going now because there there more and more countries are giving these digital nomad visas and tell people what a digital nomad visa is, and why is that different from any other expat visa
1: yeah um so visas are complicated um, and they can re- really feel overwhelming. A digital nomad visa is a is a country's way to try to adapt to the way that people are actually moving through the world at this point. Um, So for example, Thailand has a smart visa, it's called SMART. Estonia has a a good digital nomad visa. And what it means is you can base yourself in that country, but be earning money in various countries. And it gives you, each country is different, but it gives you uh, the right to stay in that country. Um, And then how you deal with like taxes and what you owe varies per visa. but it's like, you know, certain countries realize that they have to... Look, digital nomads are living in Thailand. Either Thailand can ignore it and let people do visa runs every 90 days, or they can capitalize on knowing that they're there and figuring out how to work with them and kind of like operationalizing the fact that they're there uh, and they need a proper visa to stay.
0: <laughs> um, are there ones now that you're recommending? Like, do people come to you or do they... Are they coming to you with... a an idea already in mind of where they want to go and and they're determined, I want to go to this country or are they coming to you totally blank and going, Hey, I don't know what's, what to do. What's best for me. (laughs) Tell me. me.
1: Um, Yeah. Yes. To all those things. I think that, you know, I think why you want to move is, is, is really important to understand. Like, what are you actually looking for? Like, I think a lot of people, you know, think like, Oh, I want to move to France. Do you like why do you want to move to France like it, you know, because people have like certain ideas of what France is like, but, you know, maybe that's not where you want to go. So it's like people come up because they have they want to move to a specific country for a specific reason. They have uh, ancestors from there. They want to learn the language, you know, all those things. Um, or they'll move anywhere for a job. So then it's like finding you know, what countries would hire you as a foreigner or whatever or how to get a job abroad. Other times people want to start a business or be a digital nomad. And some countries are just easier and uh, more welcoming for people to start um, a business in. So, for example, I didn't even know this, but one of my recent interviews on Adventure Calls was with a woman in Rwanda. So I started looking into Rwanda because she told me about how easy it was to get a business visa. And yeah, they're they're knocking it out of the park with making it easy for expats to come in and, and start a business there. And Africa is booming and Rwanda is actually relatively safe now for anyone who knows the history there. That's surprising. So yeah, it's like, do you want to start a business? Do you want to travel and bounce back and forth through Southeast Asia for a year? So Thailand, digital nomad visa makes sense. What's your purpose of wanting to live abroad?
0: Yeah, well, in terms of um, Rwanda, I was there a couple of years ago, did the guerrilla trek in Rwanda and Uganda, and I was um, really impressed with Rwanda. I mean, it was surprisingly, you know, I'd been a- around Africa a bit and their capital was like the cleanest one I'd been to in terms of cities. And uh, we were all kind of blown away. <laughs> we had you know, yeah. a group, we'd been around a little bit and going, we didn't expect this for Rwanda. And it was only, you know, 25 years after the, the genocide
1: Correct. You know, and, and that's, that's what's so crazy. And yeah. But people are finding really good ways to start businesses there, you know, and especially if you're a black American, and you feel like you want to get out and you're like, where can I go and feel, you know, I can't say like at home, but just like definitely, I don't know, feel welcome. Like Rwanda is an excellent option for you.
0: Right. And, and I saw on your blog, and you would touch on it just now a little bit. The biggest thing is you're You talk about finding the why, you know, the whole Joseph Campbell, what's your journey? Totally. And is that a problem? People are like, I want to get away. I'm going to, I want to live abroad, but they're not specific. Why do you want to, I mean, what are you trying to, what are you running away from? Or are you running away or are you running to something? What is it? What's your purpose?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly <laughs> what I say. Are you running away from something or are you running towards something? That's for sure. I do. I like to do the um, it's called the five whys, or now that I have a toddler, I'll just call it the toddler wise. But like, <laughs> why, 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 why? Ask yourself why and then ask why to that and why to that and try and get to the root of your actual why. But figuring out why you really want to go is so important for lots of reasons. Like if you think you want, I always say France because people have this romantic vision of France. But if you really get down to what you're looking for, there might be 10 or 15 different countries. That, that offer that um but i can also tell you from personal experience you can be miserable abroad you can be trapped in your issues abroad you you could have like be lonely lonely you could be lonely um anywhere you could if if you're like an alcoholic you could, you're going to be an alcoholic no matter where you are i mean your your issues follow you no matter where you go you can't run away from yourself no matter what what do they say wherever you go there you are
0: yeah <laughs> they talk about that about hollywood oh hollywood changed him now he was that guy was an asshole back in iowa correct he just you know came here and allowed himself to be the asshole away from the people he knew mm-hmm. he was always an asshole he just let it come out yes. but yeah uh if you're an unhappy person, well, oh, that's saying, oh, he, he got famous and changed. Now, if he was unhappy before, you're going to be unhappy even when you make money or, and get successful or whatever. I mean, if you're miserable, you're miserable. I mean, right. most of the people I know who are successful and still miserable were that way the entire time. Money right. didn't make them miserable They were miserable before (laughs) whatever deep seated thing and moving abroad is probably the same thing. If you're trying to slap a Band-Aid on whatever issues you're having, those issues are going to follow you if you're depressed or whatever it is. You know, you got to go in with a certain mindset.
1: I was just going to use the word mindset. I mean, I think that there's the look. If you want to run away because of lots of reasons, like I mean, sure, go. I mean, obviously, you're gonna like move to Costa Rica for a while. Yeah, yeah, you're like you're gonna be great. But it's the mindset and the thinking, like you know, just being aware of the fact that you can't run away from certain issues is really important. And again, it just goes back to expectation management. What do you expect when you're moving abroad?
0: It's one of the issues that you got asked about all the time. And well, now you're in a relationship and you have a child. Um, like dating or you know, going through your 20s and 30s when you're traveling all the time is uh, not easy for a lot of people. And a lot of people come home just because like, you know, I'm ready to... And for a woman, it's even tougher. If she wants to have children and stuff like that, there's that window of like, should I go home and or settle in one place?
1: Well, yeah, but I would say that it's a lot cheaper to give birth pretty much anywhere but the United States. (laughs) So I'm just going to point that out for anyone who is thinking (laughs) about that. It is much better. I mean, you know, especially in in European countries, the having a family aspect is way better.
0: Oh, yeah. uh, Maternal leave and everything else.
1: Yeah. Not only that, but, you know, you get like in Germany, in Germany. First of all, obviously, the hospital costs are so much lower in in Germany or other European countries. They like you get what's called Muttergeld, which is uh, mother money. The mother gets money. The father or second parent gets money. There's Kindergeld. So the child gets money every month. There's like five or six hundred euros from the government that comes to your bank to make sure that there is money for diapers and milk and food and things like that. Um, So, yes, there are definitely advantages um, to (laughs) to living abroad. Is Um, your child born abroad? No, 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 God, no, no. We're just, just an American, just American, American whole family. Uh, um, <laughs> no, but I would say, um, it's super confusing and hard and dating is no easier or harder abroad. I will say that, um, adding an intercultural or like bicultural aspect to dating, um, I mean, I can't say whether it's good or bad. There are lots of positive aspects. For example, learning another language. If you can successfully fight and win a point in another language, you are fluent. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, there's things like that. Um, And of course, if you fall in love abroad, it sure makes living there and getting a visa uh, a lot easier and staying. And one thing that's kind of difficult, and this isn't just dating, but also friends, if you do live abroad for a good chunk, for example, of your 20s, like I did, I mean, that's the relationship network building period of your life. And no matter what in your 30s and beyond, it's a lot harder to make friends. So if you leave the country or the countries where you were in your 20s, to be honest, it's tough. You might have friends all around the world, but like my LinkedIn is still... I'd go 60% London because that's when I got on it and was meeting everyone. And I was 26 to 30. And, you know, that's when I made a lot of my professional uh, relationships. So, yeah, I mean, definitely there's all kinds of aspects to relationship building while
0: abroad. I know. That's the other thing. I mean, I'm in my 50s now and I I certainly don't go out as much.
1: (laughs) Or as long as as late. (laughs) uh,
0: It was a hell of a lot easier to meet people in your 20s. Uh, even traveling, you know, it's it's like I don't stay in hostels anymore. I don't meet a lot of people. I'm not out at the clubs and uh, right. doing all this. So you really got to put yourself out there.
1: You do. The but I will say want. this. I've got um I'm doing this lovely three part series with two ladies who um, they're married. They moved to Portugal th- during the pandemic. And they are um I don't want to say they're both in their 60s because I feel bad. But like nearing 60 or in their 60s. Okay. Um, and they I was just communicating with them um, the other day. And they told me that they have more friends and are more social now than back home. And the truth is, it's like, no matter what age you move abroad, you do become so much more social, not because like you have to, but because your world just kind of opens up in a way where like you want to go out and meet people and talk about mindset, like that totally shifts. And so you actually do become much more social in, at you know any age.
0: Yeah. I mean, and you want to go out and see new things and stuff like that. You know, I've been in L.A. for 23 years. And so just let people bring up something it's like, ah, I did that. I did that years ago. I did, you know, if right. it's new. Yeah. You have you're more willing to get out of the house, I guess. Um right. So in terms of uh the digital nomad thing, I just wanted to touch on one thing. I've talked to a number of them on this show and one of them said something pretty interesting because a lot of people <laughs> say a lot of people, especially if they're younger will go, I'm going to move to uh, wherever Thailand and start my online business. And she's like, no, <laughs> why don't you start it online here and get it up and running and actually starting to make money and then go live somewhere because it's easier to just go somewhere and just assume you're going to start a business and making it, making income is much harder than getting it up and running and knowing you can do it remotely. It's easier to, yeah, that would, do you find that?
1: That's yeah, I think question. for a couple. No, no, no. But you're totally right, and whoever this was um, that said that, it's totally right. And and not look, not necessarily. You know, starting here because here can be difficult. Like, take go starting a business here and not having healthcare, for example, can right. feel really risky, right? So there, it is like you know, yes and no to that. But what I will say is this: when you are in a place like Thailand, um, for example, and you don't have Any way to kind of have like business contacts, Um, and even if you do, the culture is very different, so there's like a lot of different things to be taking in. Um, You can rely solely on your own mind and what you think is right without forming a strong community around you. And running an online business isn't like that easy, especially a successful one. When you're in your home country, at least what you can do is you can talk to people, run things by people. You can have mentors, resources, things like that, that you don't necessarily have if you move to like a very foreign country. And I also find that when the threat is small, so for example, in Thailand, what do you really need? $700 a month? then all you need to make is $700 a month. But when you're in the US, like you better have a business. You better figure out how to sell things because um, you need a lot more money than that, at least in my world. And so <laughs> it, it makes, it forces you to think bigger because you can run like, you, you know, how many, how many? I think I could like li- just literally live off my book in Asia, which now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm upset about, but yes, I could live off my book in Asia. You know, and like never do anything again, just update that. You, you have to think bigger and more professionally, I think, if you're living in your home country first. I, I, will, I will say that for sure.
0: Well, now I'm going to put you on the spot as we uh, wind things down. I'm going to ask for the uh, Jessica Drucker fun travel tales. Give me, the, uh, give me the, the crazy ones. Was there a moment, did you ever have any run-ins with police?
1: Uh, Border patrol. Well, please definitely listen to my podcast for many stories um, because I do share a lot of them Um, in terms of um, and not only like it's not a self-indulgent show, but I definitely share stories because I think that if you know you're going to get into a lot of like trouble as well as good times, you know, that's the adventure part. Believe me, looking back, you want all the crazy to happen. Good and bad (laughs) Um, police. I'm going to say not really really. Borders, um, everything has happened to me crossing um, borders for sure. My the weight of my stories uh, that are um, kind of crazy tend to fall in the health category. Um, I already mentioned that I broke my ankle in Peru, and that's what ended the whole uh, shebang for me, actually, the 15 (laughs) years of living abroad. Um, But I have had dengue fever. Um, which I didn't realize was so bad um, until I got it. And that happened. I got that in Guatemala. I actually think I got it in the back of a cave in Belize. And then I crossed over into Guatemala and was at Tikal. And I was just at the Mayan temples and I was like, yeah, the ruins. And I was like, I really don't feel good. And I went to the pharmacy and she was like, oh, you either have dengue or malaria. And I was like, oh, well, which one do I have? And what do I do? And she was like, "Mm, you should probably go to the clinic in the morning. And I was like, okay. And that night I felt like my brain was going to crush through my skull. All of my bones felt like they were being broken. My fever was unbelievable. Um, and the next day at the clinic after being tested, they did not even talk to me for like an hour and a half. And finally I asked the secretary, did the doctor say what I have? And she just went, I see tienes dengue. Like you have dengue. And I was like, Oh, well, what am I supposed to do? And she's like, there's really nothing you can do. Oh, okay. Um, So it ended up, the effects of the dengue actually ended up lasting about a year overall because it really ravages your immune system in ways that you don't really know. And I was backpacking at the time. So I just kind of got through it and went, you know, went on to the oh. next thing. Um, but it lasted about a year total in my immune system. So there's that was nothing, a good
0: one. There's nothing you can take for that?
1: Not really. Although the pharmacy did sell me $50 pills, which in Guatemala is a lot That's of a money. That's a lot. Uh-huh. Um, they did. And then the doctor, I went back to the doctor and I was like, but I bought these. Will this help? He's like, absolutely not. Because um, <laughs> it's there's they made really a $50 it's a, sale,
0: though. For yeah, those absolutely. Yeah. Gringa-
1: Absolutely. Um, I was just trying to find some solution. And then the other um, major health thing that I can tell you is that I was um, rammed by a cow in India.
0: (laughs) I was going to say it had to be India. It was just roam freely. Yep.
1: And ironically, I'm a vegetarian who's never had a hamburger. So that's not very nice of
0: them. Yeah. You think, yeah. I would owe you a little something.
1: That's right. Um, But yeah, I was rammed by a cow. How did that
0: happen? You were just walking down the road. He just... She, I don't kind know. Kind
1: of. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, I was um, I had a little bit of a knee injury and I was feeling very sorry for myself. And I was kind of like limping very slowly down one of those like very narrow beach roads where there's like tourist stuff on either side, um, you know, like restaurants and stupid t- trinket shops and stuff and the one road that leads to the beach. And but it's like India. So there's like just like a thousand people where normally it would be really chill. Yeah. And so there was like tuk tuks and uh, people and motorcycles and bikes and cars and me limping. And I didn't know this, but two cows, as they are all the time in India everywhere, two cows were behind me. So they were sparring and oh. I didn't know that they were like kind of fighting. And so the one cow just like wanted to be away from the other cow. And I was just the easiest thing for it to move. So it came up from behind me. Scooped me up with its horns behind my hamstrings and just kind of like tossed me off to the side. <laughs> and I remember, see, I didn't know what was going on. I just was just like, what? And I was just like up in the <laughs> air. I had no idea that it was happening. Um and I crashed down uh, onto my hip. And it's a whole long story that I thought I broke my pelvis. And um, I just remember looking and I see cows like legs, like right at me. And I think I'm going to get trampled. And then the thing just walked ahead. And I remember its tail just like swinging, you know, like flicking like a cow tail does. And it just sauntered away. And I was like, what just happened to me? Because I didn't like <laughs> Why? So, yes, it's very
0: crazy. God, if there was only video of that. Oh,
1: yeah! I know. You know what? Viral. That would go viral so
0: fast.
1: I know. They're pro. You know what? I posted about it on my podcast, and I, you know, people listen to it. And a woman actually was like, "Hey, I was ran by a cow too." And I feel like we should start a club.
0: (laughs) I bet this happens a thousand times a day in India.
1: Probably. Yeah, I felt really seen when she said that. I was like, "Yes, someone else."
0: How long were you in India?
1: Uh, About six weeks.
0: Okay. You yeah, I was there for about three. Yeah, it's hard. It's a hard. It's one. hard. It's hard. Yeah, beautiful in yeah. places, but hard. Hard. It's every mind extreme. expanding. Yes. Every extreme. Yes. Yes. Are there countries that you went to, whether living or just traveling through, that you'd be like, you know, as much as I love traveling in new cultures, I'm okay with not coming back here.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Um. You know, I hate I hate to say that kind of or stuff, just disappointing, right? Disappointing. Not well, what you thought it would be. Um, no. I mean I guess I guess the country that I would say that the most about right now is Honduras. Only because I mean, you know, I obviously and I and I went really off the path in Honduras and it is lovely, but it is pretty dangerous. Yeah. It's you know, it's like really dangerous. I mean, not like someone's going to hold you off at night point everywhere, but like the drug trade, that's where the submarines are passing through along the shore. And that's where a lot of the real crime is happening more so than even El Salvador. Um Yeah. So for like right now, I would really not go to Honduras again for a while.
0: I went to Roatan just do some right. diving and, and right. that was there that probably. you can do. Oh, Roatan's, you know, it's, It's Honduras, but it isn't. You know, it's an island outside of Honduras. Far, far (laughs) outside of Honduras. Yeah, So, uh, but my plane was transferring in uh, San Pedro de Sula.
1: Yeah, that's the worst place of them all.
0: Yeah, and uh, I didn't know anything about it, but I had a really tight connection. And uh, if I missed this connection, I'd have to spend a night there. And at first I was like, well, it's, I've never been down there. You know, it's, I'll, I'll check it out. I'll see what it is. And then I just did a little research. And they say it's like the murder capital of almost the world. The
1: world. <laughs>
0: the world. And I went, you know what? I hope I make that connection. And yeah. thank God I did.
1: You ran in the airport Ooh, for sure. <laughs> oh,
0: that was, yeah, that was rough, man. <laughs> um, what countries do you think now that are really up and coming? You said Rwanda but um, any other ones yeah. that are surprising you of a, like really turning a corner and this like, you know, the future looks bright here.
1: Oh, that's a good question. So I definitely think that there are a lot of Eastern European countries that are um, all, you know, already there in terms of like the backpacker, or, like the groundbreaker club, you know, that goes places first. Estonia, um,
0: Latvia.
1: Yeah, Estonia for sure, Latvia, Georgia, Romania. I think that all of those countries are definitely um, happening. Um, in in eastern europe um i think let me think like i I just feel like so many places are already there but what i do think is this i think there are so many countries in africa that we don't know about like i don't know enough about to like name exactly but i know that there's a lot of um money being put toward tourism there tourism dollars in terms of marketing there's a lot been a lot of really strong campaigns in africa and that's a whole continent i hate to admit this because i also told you i haven't been to japan or china and like people are like i thought she was a real traveler but like <laughs> i've never been to africa and i understand um what? i don't okay. just just listen i right i'm gonna I, let it go. i concentrated i've been to all of Central and South America, Europe, no, no, Southeast no, no, no Asia, here. Canada, judgment, but
0: no, Mexico.
1: For long periods of time, uh, uh, yeah, but no, I haven't. But I think that there's a lot, a lot, a lot that you're going to see coming out of uh, in the next kind of decade or so in Africa.
0: If you had a beyond
1: ball, the sort of typical,
0: yeah, sorry, but if you had a crystal ball of um, where you see this country headed and where you see Americans living and going. And how the digital world is going to change the way we think about work in America and work around the world. If you look 10 years down the line, how do you see it?
1: Yeah. So this is an interesting question because I think on the one hand for the next few years, because so I look at it like this in 2008 was the financial crash. And that was also the year that, or I think 2007, 2008 is the year that, oh no, 2009 is when Tim Ferriss came out with the four hour work week. And this idea of digital nomadism really sparked because people had already lost their jobs. They became disillusioned. They moved to other countries or became nomads. And then you saw a, a cultural shift among a certain type of person, me included, that like was a direct result without realizing it of that crash in that time period, um, post pandemic, um, and also post post BLM, post everything that happened in the, in the, in this country during the pandemic, um, this kind of like awakening of America, I think that you're going to see a real increase in remote work being an option. I think we're seeing that people don't want ping pong tables. They don't want free beer. They want to be able to work from wherever they want to work from. Um, And I think for about five or six years, you're going to see a a massive increase in those being the types of perks that companies give, right? But then what is, in my opinion, inevitably going to happen is the U.S. is just going to figure out how to tax it, how to own it, you know, how to make it inconvenient. And so you might see a little bit of a backswing from that because it will become really complicated if you're working for a U.S. company, but living, you know, in Bermuda, Or, you know, Antigua, because they have these work from anywhere visas or welcome stamp visas or whatever. um, It will get complicated. Um, But I definitely think that we don't even know yet. I mean, out of 2008 uh, crash, um, Uber wasn't a thing until Then Airbnb wasn't a thing until then, and these have totally changed the way that we interact with humanity. We get in the car with strangers. We live at strange people's houses, um, and that totally changed the way that we even live or travel. So I think there are lots of unknowns that will come out of this um, that will totally shift the way that we live.
0: Yeah. So an interesting uh, tweet once. It was actually kind of uh, made you think because it's like, "Welcome to the new American economy. Your house is now a hotel." Your car is a taxi, and you're never off the clock. Mm -hmm. So, absolutely. On the one hand, you know, there's a lot of people who don't like all the. Yes, I can work from home, but on the flip side, I'm never off work. Correct. (laughs) You know, that's that's a hard switch. A lot of people like to go to work and leave it at work. You know, Mm -hmm. and and have their life afterwards. So. Yeah, it takes a certain kind of person to do that. A lot of people, uh, again, with a child, a small child especially, it's got to be harder uh, working from home <laughs> for a lot of people. Hopefully, you you have a separate room where you can at least yeah. get away from. If you have multiple kids, I mean, my God, I have friends that were homeschooling through all this, and yeah. uh, oh. Wow. But
1: I think that um, but that's a good point, though. I think we've all been tested and stretched to limits we didn't even know existed. And I also think the way we look at our relationship to time and what matters, I can actually see a a value shift in a really positive direction. Yes, we we hate being on our phones now. We hate all these zooms. We hate um, working around the clock. And I, I do think there's an awareness to like like an existential crisis, what really matters. And I wonder what will happen as a result of that.
0: Um, the three things I get asked about as an American around the world that I've stopped answering after a while are probably mm. the same things you get asked the people, even the ones that like America can't seem to figure out and we're asked about it all the time. One is the electoral college. <laughs> That's one. Oh, great. They can't, yeah. They can't figure that out. Uh, two is the healthcare and three is the guns. And that yes. hasn't, that hasn't changed and I've stopped after a while, go, yeah, that's just, yeah, I can't explain it. I, I don't agree with them, <laughs> but, uh, no place is perfect. And they go, why? And they, they ask me about it. I go, we don't have the will to change it. How can people still get yeah. murdered all this? time? We don't have the strength to change it or the political mm-hmm. will or the, I don't know. It's, do you find in America, there's this idea. And that I've, I feel that since we've been around a bit, when you're, it's like a religion in a way, and it was like a, a brainwashing in a way that where it's like, if you're told constantly that you're in the best place on earth, then why change anything? And so that's more of a conservative mind. It's like, wow, this is the greatest place ever. So what they actually believe the healthcare system is the greatest <laughs> in the world. And it's like, Right. Mm-hmm. If you can afford it, right. it's great. But fewer and fewer people can afford it. So, is it great?
1: So, I am um, that intercultural business uh, certificate I mentioned was so eye opening to me. I was taking it in. I know I always date myself, but I feel okay because you said you're in your fifties, <laughs> um, which is older than me. So Early fifties. Thank
0: you very much.
1: Um, okay, and um, so uh, this was in two thousand five, and it was um. At the time of Hurricane Katrina and a year after George Bush had been reelected, which you should try to explain to Germans in 2004, why in the hell we would reelect. That George was a, that Bush.
0: was a tough four years, too. That was.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, I was trying to explain to people I'm like, I can't I don't know. I'm not your like American representative. I just don't have an answer. Um, but what I was really interesting went, was. What Sorry,
0: that was my. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I don't... No, f- how just, could you re- I just yeah. I actually Sorry. Sorry. put a Canadian flag
1: on my backpack. Yeah, there you go. Day. Sorry. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: No. No. Uh, um, no, that's okay. Um, <laughs> you brought up no, Canada what, what, as
0: we're saying sorry. How how appropriate is that? That's ironic. Sorry, yeah, that's funny. Sorry.
1: Um, there is what it is with the American thing. This like unwillingness to see that you could just you know stop gun violence through some simple measures, or you know the fact like our health insurance thing, or the greatest country in the world. The American idealism, which is both wonderful and problematic, is that everybody who is not the top one percent is aspiring. And this is just kind of like a part of our DNA from the time we're born to become the 1%. So the goal and the vision is not to change life for the 99% or the reality in which we all live. It is to get out of that reality through whatever means necessary to, to become the 1%. So like taxes being like not uh, in your favor, where we overlook that because when we get rich then yeah. we will benefit from that. From that, So it's like this American, the, the chasing of the American dream up until I would say now has been like a guiding light. I do think the last year has called into question the concept of the American dream. And I'm seeing a lot of people, obviously I follow like every expat I can find on social media and they do a lot of posting about how they're living the American dream in Mexico and they're living the American dream in Portugal and they're living the American dream in Rwanda um, and everywhere else. And so I think- that ideal of the American dream may be shifting in consciousness. But it's the, it's the idea that like when I make it, I won't have to worry about this stuff anymore. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Um, but the dirty reality that America doesn't tell people and doesn't advertise <clears throat> is that, um, I think I said it was, it was like around eighty eighty five percent of people remain in the class they're born into. Yeah. You know, if you were born poor, you'd probably always be poor. Yeah. If you were born middle class, you'd probably... Always be middle class, even though the middle class is shrinking. And if you were born wealthy, you probably will be. Yeah. You know, (laughs) that's, we love to, we champion the ones that started out poor, the Horatio Alger stories, but those are the exceptions.
1: They're always the exceptions to the rule. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, look, um, Jay-Z, you know, he's a great example of making it obviously from the poorest to the richest. And then it's so odd because then it's like people know, you know, in Brooklyn, uh, people know where like his stash spot was. It's 520 State Street. It's where he used to stash drugs. Um, when he was selling them and like then we glorify that he was a drug dealer and that's why he's such a good businessman or whatever and it's like you know yes like all those things are true but he is 100 percent the exception to yeah, every one of every those one rules. of him
0: there's a million yeah. that have, are still right. poor or dead or in prison or dead
1: in jail exactly yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly so right like, yeah yeah
1: you, you stay, you do tend to stay. And I will say that is again, why I do think living abroad is so great for everyone. I'm sorry that I just like push it this way, but it does allow you to kind of break free of the class struggle for a while because you then have the opportunity to, you know, gain a bunch of skills you normally wouldn't gain, but it also kind of gets you when you're no longer consuming that type of media, like not living in the U S and not consuming pharmaceutical commercials. Uh. I Isn't swear you just it's, you're just like, I'm not dying. Like, I'm not dying. It's bizarre. It's that's bizarre. The,
0: that's the fourth thing that people always ask me about. It's like, yeah, we were in America. We're watching TV. We couldn't believe all the ads for drugs and
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's messed up. Yes. And
0: and the thing you said before about um, they think the streets are paved with gold. And I mean yeah. I'm in, you know, I'm I'm on the border of Venice in Santa Monica. Here, and just outside my door, I mean, there's a shantytown of homeless. I mean, it is yeah. bad. I mean, there's people living under bridges and on the sidewalks and, and uh, the biggest skid row in the country. And people who come to visit me from other countries, say New Zealand or something. They're blown away. They're like, we can't believe America looks like this. And it's like, yeah, this is like third world conditions, you know, that I've seen yeah. Yeah. around and they can't believe it. They can't believe Absolutely. it. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. No, totally. And they have, you know, I I watched some of those videos on YouTube about people who are interviewed, especially in that area that you're in. And like they have college degrees, sometimes masters or PhDs in their living there, you know, it's, 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 it's really crazy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I remember going to Africa or to India and thinking, you know, it's still the worst conditions I've seen anywhere. And I've been through some pretty poor places. Yeah. But, um, and I'm thinking, it's like, how could they let it get this bad and let people live this way? And then I'll walk outside, (laughs) like literally people in boxes living in there my friends are asking me the same thing. How can you guys let it get this bad and just, oh, it's easy. It just becomes part of your daily scenery. You know, you just learn to walk over it, I guess. Yes. And you just internalize it and just like, yeah, this is going to be people begging at every red light. And just it's amazing what our brains will just start to accept
1: the pandemic is a great example. Yeah. We just, it was the new normal. We just all of a sudden from one day to the next, I'm saying shelter in place. That was not a word. right? And then in March, 2020, I'm talking about sheltering in place. You just adapt. Like you just change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell people where they can um, find you on social media and everything else. Give your website and now get your plugs in.
1: Well, thank you. And thank you for having me on. I always love telling travel tales. Um, so thank you for <laughs> indulging me on my uh, dengue and my cow story. Um, yeah, yeah, you can find me, me um, on the internet. Uh, Jessica Drucker, Jessica, drucke com is my website. Um, my Instagram, which is probably where I pay the most attention to social is at Jessica V Drucker um, V in Valentine, if you were wondering. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, my, my podcast adventure calls is everywhere you listen to podcasts. And, uh, my book is how to move abroad and why it's the best thing you'll do.
0: <laughs> That's great. Um, and finally, I'm going to ask the question I always ask, um, how has all this travel and all your experiences changed you as a person and how you look at people and how do you look at yourself and how you look at life? How would How has it changed you?
1: Empathy. I can look at anyone and not other them first because I've been in their shoes in different ways and I'm able to, to be like, you know, it's easy to other and to blame and to think that they're different. But I know that I am different too, because I've been so different for so long in so many places. And so I just have empathy and I can always see the other side always is almost always, but I really, I really think that empathy is probably the biggest um, way that it's changed me. And also, you know, we were talking about shifting through classes and things like that. You know, if you're poor, you're born poor, you stay poor, but you know, I was born kind of like middle-class, like very, very average, but the way that my world has just absolutely expanded, I'm trilingual. No one in my family's trilingual. I've lived in so many places. No one else has. I, I, I ended up falling upwards. So like when I broke my ankle and sort of lost everything, I fell up 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 i got better jobs i had more opportunities things like that so um yeah it just sort of just expands your world in so many different ways
0: that's great well jessica thank you for doing this i appreciate it stay on the uh, line for a second and i'll get uh, some particulars from you but uh i'm gonna listen to more of the podcast and thank you for doing thank you for doing mine
1: you got it thank you so much for having me i appreciate it
0: jessica drucker everybody